Grace on Fire, episode 74. Warning. Warning. Religious people may get offended. Listening discretion is advised. Go to MyGraceNation.com for safe listening instructions. What's up, Grace Nation? This is the Reverend Smitty bringing you another show of unbridled theology, unbridled opinion, straight from my brain to your ears. This is Grace on Fire. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and I am your online pastor, and my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And on this episode today, I'm asking the question, can our positive emotions create a trap for us? Can our emotional highs be just as dangerous as our emotional lows? That's a question that I've been recently pondering and thinking about. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a positive emotion and then went off and made some kind of, you know, reckless decision based upon that, you said to yourself, what happened? I don't know. I've been there. I've done that. And we're going to be talking about it on the show today. Hey, special shout out today to Sandy in South Carolina. I hope I got your name right. No, 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 Sandy. It's Christy. I know better than that. Sorry about that. Christy in South Carolina, you are on the show today because I had a great message from you. Thank you so much for sending the videos. And yes, Grace Nation, I have had these requests for these t-shirts. And so I am now thinking and putting together a t-shirt platform so you can wait and see these incredible t-shirts as we're going to be bringing them to you today. So I've been on the show and talking about personal development. We're continuing that theme this year. And I've been doing a a study uh, in the field of positive psychology. Now, if you don't know what positive psychology is, it's basically the study and science of well-being. That's what it is. It's it's asking the question, can I, you know, is there a science to positive life, abundant life, well-being, purpose, those sorts of things? Or are those just sort of these nebulous things that we talk about in wisdom, in literature, etc.? And in theology, we talk about the abundant life, and we're going to be talking about more about the abundant life today. Um, but actually, believe it or not, there is a whole field of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, so through um, the modern marvels of technology, I have enrolled in this program on positive psychology through Coursera. And I'm, I'm just loving this. And I think I talked about this as a tip of the week a couple of weeks ago, but I'm absolutely loving this. It's costing me 80 bucks a month, which is far less than tuition would be in a graduate level program. But I'm really just reaping all the wonderful benefits of this program with all the stress of writing and, and et cetera and trying to prove yourself. And I'm just so beyond trying to prove myself academically these days. And so, um, but what's so cool about it is, is that I can sit here and talk with you about these things. So um, essentially, like I said, that the goal of positive psychology is to figure out how to contribute to a positive well-being instead of just alleviating misery. And I got to tell you, it's it's really begun to shape and morph my thinking. And so, as I've been listening and studying this program, I thought I'd be uh, come out and share some of the things that I would uh, uh, have that I've learned. I share with you some of the things I've learned. Now, one of those things that my studies have done is it's opened up my eyes to just how we are affected by our emotions. Now, a couple of about a year ago, uh, I had a um, a guy on here. 
and um, an expert in the field of emotional intelligence. Um, and, you know, uh, Dr. Scott, and, you know, I'm going to bring, I got to bring Scott back on here. So, Scott, if you're listening today, just consider this an invitation to the Grace on Fire show. But, um, you know, I got to bring Scott back here as we just kind of flesh out what all of this is, is really where the, all of this is going. Because I got to tell you something that I have become more and more aware of just how some of the decisions that I've made based on how I was feeling positively actually perhaps ended up not being the best decisions that I could have made. Now, a good example of this is like when you get caught up and go into a car dealership and you just fall in love with this car. Man, I love this car. And it's a great car. And then you just know you got to buy this car. And then suddenly you buy the car and then something happens. You get buyer's remorse and now you're stuck with this car. Now, if you've ever been in that kind of situation, you know what I'm talking about. But we're actually talking about something far more subtle. And that is the danger of associations. Associations meaning that you experience a positive emotion in an environment and then assume that that's the environment for you because you had some kind of emotional feeling. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit today because I think it's so incredibly important that we become aware of just how our emotions are affecting us. So that's going to be the topic of the show today. Also on the show, I'm going to do some more street theology. And all right, I'm going to just say something here, okay, on uh, my street theology. It's going to be a little bit risky, maybe a little bit out there uh, for some of you. Maybe not. You know, this is me, Smitty, just being myself. But is there such a thing as positive theology? If there's such a thing as positive psychology, could there be such a thing as positive theology. So we're going to be rolling with that idea today and just sort of fleshing out a few things on street theology, and then we're going to get into the feature presentation. All right, so forward uh, into the show today as we get into some street theology. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And on Street Theology today, asking the question, is there such a thing as positive theology? Now, the reason why I'm asking this question is because I'm just going to give a little bit of a, back, a, a background on me, okay? So, I think I've shared in the past that I've struggled with depression, I've struggled with a generally a poor self-concept, low self-esteem, all of those things. And what I've really begun to realize is, is, is just how that has profoundly I- impacted my interpretation of the Bible and theology. And as a result of that, I've really begun to go back to the paper and go back to the Bible and begin to read the Bible afresh and trying to read it through a new lens. And it's a new lens of affirmation, of, of, of positivity, of, of looking at the Bible and saying, is there a case to be made biblically for living a life that is, is characteristically uh, filled with joy? Now, I want to just stress something here that... We all know that Christianity, like, for example, the fruits of the Spirit, all right, uh, faith, hope, love, um, and some of the others, joy, are, are some of the words that we, we talk about, peace. Um, and we think about these words, but very often in the Christian walk, particularly as a pastor, I don't see those things taking place in people's lives. In fact, if we're going to be just totally transparent about this, um, most of the Christians that I see and run across, pretty much if you pulled the Christianity out of their lives, how would they look any different than, say, the person down the street? And in fact, there are some people down the street who are not Christians 
who have far greater and, and far more well-being than, say, most Christians. And that really kind of tells me something. And what it tells me is, is that um, are we or have we made a mistake here in terms of our theological presuppositions? Now, let me give you an example of where this is going. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was talking with this daycare worker, and there was a dad in the daycare. And the the dad was a, was a pastor and a Christian. And I'm a pastor, you know, in 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 this daycare. And this is a Christian daycare. So what he was saying was is that he he was objecting to his child singing a song because the song was talking about being a sinner. All right, and he said he didn't want his child identifying with being a sinner. And so the daycare worker asked me, and he said, you know, is that wrong, pastor? I mean, is that you know, shouldn't we? What's what's wrong with that? And, you know, my, my immediate response was, well, of course not. I mean, we need to acknowledge that we're sinners, right? That's, I mean, that, I mean, for you to acknowledge that you're a sinner is, seems to be so prima facie, like so, so self-evident, particularly if you come out of an evangelical background. But, you know, a Roman Catholic background, pretty much sin, the three-letter word sin, is a foregone conclusion in most conservative evangelical theology, all right? You, you just, you understand that this is the problem. And... What I, where I'm, where I, what has caused me to think about this, though, or though, was to sit here and to think about this question: Why is this pastor objecting to his child saying, "I'm a sinner"? Now, again, if we were to go back to uh, Martin Luther and we look at Lutheran theology for just a moment, they have this sort of dichotomy, simultaneously saint and sinner, and that was Martin Luther's contribution to the world of theology, and it's one I happen to embrace. Now. The problem that I see with the saint-sinner dichotomy is it says we're simultaneously a saint, we're simultaneously a sinner. That sometimes we, you know, emphasize sinner over saint. Sometimes I've seen people where they emphasize saint over sinner. And your question is, is what well, we want? We want balance, right? That was Aristotle. Aristotelianism, by the way, is always looking for the mean, the mean. We want the balance. We want balance. And honestly, I'm not really sure that you can solve this problem uh, with balance. Because what I would say to you is that I'm, I'm more in agreement where we're looking with for a progressive growth in the Christian life, where we're moving from a place where we are a sinner more progressively towards being a saint. And yes, I understand there's all this theology out there, but what I'm asking here is what does it look like in everyday life? If we're waking up and we're feeling all gloom and, you know, we're turning on, um, I don't know, alternative music of the 90s and, you know, thinking about the world is going to end, etc. I'm just wondering if that's reality, if we're, we're, if that's something that we should be doing. Recently, I came, uh, now I'm going to just tell you something now. Now, don't go around and misquote me here, okay? But one of the bands that I really love out there listening to is ACDC. Now, if that offends you, I'm really sorry, but I'm a guy from the South, and ACDC rocks, okay? But I recognize that there are some serious, serious problems with most of the music. So I don't listen to all of it, but there are some of them that I really do enjoy. But there is this one song, ACDC, where, you know, it's Highway to Hell. And that's just a great opening guitar lyric. And that's what I like about it. I'm like, yeah. And the problem with that, of course, is it's what? Singing positively about going to hell. So I'm in the car, and this song comes in, and my three-year-old's in the back. 
and I, I was getting ready to rock out, and I was so tempted to live in my center moment of that uh, time and sort of embrace my fullness as a center and sing ACDC, ACDC. And then suddenly, boom, it was just like a switch went off and said, you know, I'm not really sure that I should be singing this song. And I definitely don't want to be singing this song in front of my three-year-old who could turn around and go to his Christian daycare saying, I'm on a highway to hell. Can you imagine that dilemma? Now, I say that story to tell you about where I'm going with this. That we shouldn't be singing songs about singing Highway to Hell, obviously, and I'm, I'm in full agreement with that, so don't hear me say anything uh, contrary to that. But the problem that I see here is actually that if we identify too strongly with sinner, is that going to keep us trapped? In other words, th- this is what I see happening, and, and that is this. We say we're sinners, but then we say we're saints. But all we ever really do is we get to a neutral place where we're not really feeling anything positive. We're just happy that we have God's grace, okay? In other words, we're pretty much content that we're sinners, and we understand that God's grace has saved us. But the question isn't that. It's how do we move positively forward in life? In other words, how do we live a life that, shows everyone that something's different and we're not just caught up in all of this neutralness. You see what I'm saying? In other words, here's 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 what I'm saying. You struggle with sin, you get to a place in your life where you fully embrace God's grace, but the question is, are you experiencing joy? Can you honestly say that you're experiencing God's joy in your life? And that's the question that I'm asking. So, Sometimes what we do is we start with what I call a theological bias towards negativity. And in my opinion, the five points of Calvinism, which starts with total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. It starts with this theological idea of total depravity, all right? And it moves forward, and it's a, lo- it's a logical argument, and it, but it starts with this negativity, this hopelessness, helplessness, etc. And then God saves us. He, you know, he only saves a few because of the limitations there. And the grace, we experience grace, and then we have this perseverance of the saints towards the end. But my question is: Is that biblical? And is it a theological negative? I have met people who are stuck in theological negatives. They're stuck in their spiritual development of just how rotten and miserable sinner they are, not fully embracing the goodness and grace of the freedom and the liberty that they have. That's what I'm talking about. Now, listen to John 10.10, because this is the verse that's really captured my attention. And and I'm just going to, at this point, I'm not making any kind of teachings. I'm just putting forward a thought to think through. And so John 10 says this, John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, it's that phrase, life and have it abundantly, that I want to clue in on. The question is, is do you have an abundant life? Now, the verb here that is have, all right, in the English, you know, sometimes in English, we're so accustomed to English words that we don't fully understand the the nuances here. So in this verb to have, there is this this verb is what's considered the subjunctive mood. 
And basically what it does is expresses a possible possibility or intentionality, okay? In other words, that this is this is something that could happen. Now, it doesn't say could, it says have, but locked up into this phrase is the idea that you can have this life now, that it's possible. It's not necessarily determined, though, and that's what's really remarkable about this passage. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, you may not have the abundant life. And that's what's got my attention. The word abundant here, or the word life here, carries with it this idea of a condition of living or the state of being alive, healthiness, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality. And I think that's incredible. Listen to that again, that that list of words here. This idea of being, uh, uh, the state of being, healthiness, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality. The word that I like to use is thriving. That is that Jesus came that you may have life and that your life may thrive. Now, that's my own dynamic interpretation of this verse. That's not exactly what it says. It's just, again, it's my own dynamic interpretation. But what I'm trying to get here is to what is contained in this phrase, the abundant life. Could you honestly say that you have an abundant life? Can you honestly say that Christianity has given you an abundant life? I don't know that I could. I don't know that I could do that, say that a year ago. I certainly could have said it five years ago. I can say it today, but that's because I've been doing a lot of work on myself. And and, and we've been doing a lot of work together on the show. And that's a really important thing because it's not just about rescuing people that are stuck in poor ways or broken lives or lost or whatever. We're talking about moving from a negative to a positive, from a life of brokenness and despair to a life that is thriving. And that's something that is remarkable to me, what I would call characteristically true life. Finding contentment and thriving in this in, in the most dire state and still finding this incredible divine satisfaction. And I'm not sure that our theological systems have done enough justice to this side of the equation. I know it's done incredible work. We've done incredible work on the other side of it. Grace, grace, grace. I understand that well. But have we done enough justice? To the idea of the abundant life. And that is the question that I'm raising here. Um, now look at Romans 8 2, because Romans 8 2 has another phrase here, and I think it's very good, and that is for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice the word there, freedom, liberty. It set you free, the spirit of life, the law has set you free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. Now, I think that Romans 8 2 is perhaps one of the most pivotal verses in Romans because everything just sort of hinges and, and switches there in Paul's argument. And it leads ultimately to the incredible conclusion of Paul that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so you find this freedom and vitality and liberty associated with God and the Spirit and life. So my point here is simple, and that is, I'm not really trying to teach anything, but it's simply just to make some uh, some arguments here and to say 
this, you know, have we done a good enough job on the abundant life? And if there's a field out there in secular psychology that it's advancing positive well-being apart from Christianity, that is, it's possible now to foster good feelings and good emotions and live a life of fulfillment apart from Christianity, then my question to Christianity is to say, is there something to our faith system, our beliefs, that can be correspond to what psychology is saying? And I actually would like to say it the other way around. I would actually say that the field of psychology is now corresponding to what theology has always taught. But what I'm concerned about today is whether or not that we've talked about the abundant life sufficiently enough in our Reformed and Evangelical circles. And my answer is no. Ultimately, I have to say that I don't think that we've done a good enough job with this. I think that every time that we talk about our emotions, we talk about our feelings um, in some circles, I think they get shut down. And I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's right. I think that that's fundamentally at odds with our human design. So as a pastor, what I see is Christians stuck living lives that are not characterized by this idea of the abundant life. And I don't want that. I want the abundant life. I want a life of, of meaning, of purpose, of grace, of love, of, of respect, of peace. And I want these things today. And when I see Jesus and I listen to his teaching, it seems to me that his promises for that, that he promises that today for my life. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And moving on into our feature presentation. So I wanted to kind of carry along with this theme, the aside or this theme I'm having today about positive emotions. But in this particular context, what I want to do is get back to my opening where I said, you know, can positive emotions work against you? And the answer is yes. I just want to say that I've come to some points in my life where I've recognized that both negative emotions as well as positive emotions can have a negative or a detrimental impact on your life, and it can actually lead you down roads that you don't want to go, i.e., you have this great feeling, you bought this incredible car, you're euphoric about it, and then three months later, you realize you can't actually afford the payments, and yet you got caught up in the moment of that of that car buying experience. But we do this, I think, in a number of different ways. We can do this in terms of relationships. We can do this in terms of jobs. That We can do this and not think about the consequences of the future because what we've done is we've allowed the euphoric emotions dictate and tell us, oh, well, this feels good. I should just do this. And that's not a good idea. I think one of the prime examples that I would make on this is that a lot of times I will hear and see people, uh, particularly who are having uh, issues with sexual identity, they're saying, well, I'm just going down this road because it feels good. And, and you know, you got to be careful here. You can go down a road that feels good. It may end up not being a good road to, down to go. And, and I've been down this myself, and that's why I'm bringing it to your attention. So this is, let me just kind of set this up for you. And to talk about it today as, as we're working through this. So last weekend, I went down to South Florida. My, my wife and my family took the kids down there and we spent three days in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Now, I love Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I love South Florida. It's an incredible place. You have 
an eclectic group. I mean, it's truly international. You have people from all over the world, Europe, uh, South America, the, the Caribbean, Asia. They all just sort of, you know, come to South Florida for the incredible weather. And that's just what they do. And that's why they're there. And, and it's a fun environment and as well as a hard environment. And the hardness about the environment is because it's very much a big city. It's a huge metroplex, 100 miles long, you know, about 30 miles wide, maybe less. And it's solid. It's just built solid all the way up and down the eastern seaboard there. And, uh, you know, you can get up in all the traps of uh, big traffic, et cetera, et cetera. But what makes this area so special to me are my relationships that I have. I just have so many relationships down there. And um, I want to talk about that experience. So we went down to Miami hung out with friends, we got away, and then on the way back after this trip, I noticed something. And what I noticed was is that I was feeling pretty good. This was Monday, by the way. I noticed that my muscles were loose. I noticed that the kids, they weren't driving me uh, as crazy as normal. I felt a peace. I felt content. I mean, you could actually even say that it was, you know, I had this sort of emotional euphoria going on. And, 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 I, and what was amazing to me was that normally in the past, I wouldn't have been as aware of this as I am today because I'm learning to pay attention to how I'm feeling and to articulate these feelings. And, and that's not an easy thing to do, particularly for a guy like me. But I was listening to my feelings and just sort of evaluating this. And what I noticed was how good I felt and how I associated that with the region itself. And then my wife asked me this simple question, and this is what she said. She goes, you want me, you want to move back, don't you? And then my immediate answer was like, well, of course I do. Of course I want to move back to South Florida. I love South Florida. But then I thought about it and I said, you know, wait a minute. Why did I answer that way? Because I can tell you five years ago when I moved away, that I had had a bunch of negative things happen to me. And when I moved away five years ago, I wasn't feeling that way about South Florida at all. In fact, I remember being on the car driving back on the same road in about the same space saying, I'm sick of it. I hate it. I'm moving out. Now, what was the difference between these two experiences? Same region, same area, same kind of traffic, same kind of issues, blah, 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 blah. The only difference that I can tell you was the relationships. It was the stuff that I did. In other words, what it was, was that I was engaged in all of these healthy relationships, a positive energy, and I was feeling good about it. And so when my wife said, hey, you want to move back? I was like, well, of course. Of course I want to move back. I love these people. And the truth is, I, I actually feel that way. But here's the problem with this. Does that mean that I should move back? Does that mean that because of these three days of positive experiences that I had, that I should suddenly just pack up my car, change my life, and move down? Well, the answer is no, and that's an easy decision to make unless I had a plan, et cetera. I mean, we're talking a major shift in my life in order to pull something off like that. And it's not outside, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but there have been other times in my life where when I wasn't aware of this dynamic of positive emotions that I was experiencing, and I made some bad decisions. For example, about eight years ago, when I got involved with this uh, Anglicanism, I had gone to this conference, and I heard all of these incredible speakers 
speakers. Speakers, by the way, some of which were Baptists. And at the point, I was actually coming out of the Baptist church and going full blown into to the Anglican world. And some of them were Baptists. And I thought, oh, look, they're bringing Baptists in to talk to these guys. That's kind of cool. So we can kind of dwell together. I mean, exactly. Some of my heroes in the Baptist church were brought in to speak to these Anglicans, which I thought was pretty amazing. And actually, eight years later, I think it's a miracle that that actually happened. And probably the guy that actually ran that uh, conference at the time, he's no longer around. Um, he, he got in lots of trouble, by the way, and that's probably why. But my point here in telling you this story was this. I drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, I drank the Kool-Aid hard. I had this wonderful, positive experience over a weekend, and I heard all of these great things happening, and I drank the Kool-Aid. Now, after that experience, things began to go downhill until the next conference. And I came back and went to the conference. Oh, wow, I love this, blah, 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 blah. And what I was doing was I was making a mistake. I was, I was not realizing that I was making, I was confusing these feelings that I had for calling in my life. And that's so important to realize that sometimes what we do is we get involved in organizations and situations because we enjoy the experience. But what we should be doing is just allowing ourselves to enjoy the experience, but not necessarily committing to anything that may come out of that. So my wife telling me uh, this past uh, Monday, hey, you want to move down? Well, of course I do, but I'm not going to commit to that experience because I just had a great you know, emotional aspect of it. doesn't mean that I need to act upon it. And I have to tell you that this has been one of the areas of my life where I've had to really rein myself in in because there have been some serious times where I've made a positive association based upon emotions that I was feeling and then directly as a result of those landed in a very bad situation. And so I think that that's really just the takeaway here that I want to leave with you today. It's going to be a short show because I, I, I just want to just bring these things to your attention as they're happening in my life. Because the, we all know that we shouldn't make decisions based upon negative emotions, but we also need to be very careful about positive emotions as well. Because the problem with emotions is that they can come and they can go. And then we're stuck with the action that we took or the outcomes that we achieved. And that's something that I think it must, that most of us don't realize when we're getting involved in a relationship or an association or work or making a purchase or whatever it is. Be very careful of how these emotions are affecting the decisions, that is the actions that we're taking, because they could ultimately lead to some outcomes that we ultimately may not desire. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. A little shorter than I usually do it, but I wanted to keep it a little bit more condensed this week. Hope you have a great week. I know we're into the holidays. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative Production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit MyGraceNation.com.